Good morning, or afternoon, whenever you might be listening. Max here. I'm editing this week's episode from a coffee shop in Reno. But I tell you what, where I'd really rather be is the handlebar back home in Chico with its sprawling patio and delicious cocktails and amazing, amazing, delicious draft beers that during their happy hour, which is seven days a week, by the way, two to 6 p.m. are a dollar off their already pretty great pricing. If you haven't been, please do go check them out. That's where I would be if I were back in Chico right now. They're at 2070 East 20th Street. Again, that's the handlebar. Here's the show. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, or should I say welcome back to us. Uh, this is a podcast. It's a radio show about the worlds of craft beer and film. I am Max Minardi. Johnny Summers, what's shaking? This week on the show, uh, a review of Saltburn. It's the sophomore film from uh, director Emerald Fennell, starring Barry Keoghan as Oliver, who, after a family tragedy, is invited to a super wealthy friend's family estate for the holiday. Hot on the heels of 2020's Promising Young Woman, Saltburn takes another swing at black comedy with his satire of the uber-wealthy and classism uh, and the power of sex, truthfully. But before we give you our thoughts on that, here's the beers we're reviewing this week. Yeah, we're drinking two beers from Trademark Brewing out of Long Beach, California. The first one's called Code Breaker. It's a 7% West Coast IPA. The second is called Perfect Circle. Uh, it is also a West Coast IPA that is 7.4%. If you're listening on KZFR 90.1 FM, we hope you're having a terrific Saturday afternoon. On the radio version of our show today, you'll be hearing our episode almost in its entirety, which will eventually include spoilers for Saltburn. That said, those spoilers won't be until about 4.30, so if you haven't seen the film yet and you don't want it to be spoiled, you could just go see the movie and then come back and listen to the podcast version of our show, which, in addition to both of our beer reviews and our thoughts on the film, includes the always unpredictable Hot and Bothered segment, which is exclusive to podcast listeners. It's how we end the show each week by catching up with each other, which I think we'll probably have a lot to do because it's been a few weeks, my dude. Um, and we discuss everything from international trips to throwing out our backs uh, to fun beers we've drank off the show. It's really anybody's guess. That's right. To find all that, go search for Fresh Hop Cinema on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, all those places. Uh, we release new episodes every Friday since 2016, which means it's available to all of you listening on KZFR right now. If you like the show, go take five seconds and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to let us know that you did. Text us to brag or with feedback about the show in general, stuff like that. 530-433-0839. Again, that number is 530-433-0839. And if you figure out if that spells anything, let us know. <laughs> uh, to hang out with us on social media, search Fresh Hop Cinema on Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, or Untapped, or just head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com. All right, let's talk Patreon. It's been a few weeks since we've given the spiel, so here comes the spiel. Patreon is a way for you to help support our podcast um, with your hard-earned dollars. Um, and, and what we give you in return is, is hard to put into words, almost unquantifiable. Mm -hmm. But I'll start by saying we invite you to Belong. To what? Belong. We invite you to belong. Uh, anyways, there's bonus content, there's bar hangs, there's movie nights, there's all sorts of fun stuff. So if you can afford anywhere from, uh, I don't know, a, a one beer a month to, I don't know, a case of beer a month, you can support our show. I'm putting it in terms our listeners might understand. That's fair. You uh, DJs. And to find out more, you can go to patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. Um, Johnny, am I missing anything from Patreon? 
You'd be a lot cooler if you joined. That's the bottom There's line. There's no arguing. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's all the housekeeping then. So with that out of the way, Johnny Summers, I've never heard of Trademark Brewing. Um, I know that you have because you've done some research. So please tell me about the brewery. Yeah. First and foremost, these beers were a gift from a friend of the show, uh, Ken Neely. Shout out, Ken. Thanks for providing beers for this week's show. Uh, from Trademark Brewing's website, we read, One couple with many passions, food, science, beer, and brewing. Founded by a husband and wife team, Sterling and Lana Steffen brought the trademark brewing to Los to Lost Beach, Long Beach, sure. California. It's right next to Lost Beach. Yeah. You wouldn't get it. It's a SoCal thing. <laughs> trademark brewing is the first production craft brewery in Long Beach and one of the only sustainable sustainability focused breweries in California. Our special equipment and processes allow us to use less than half the water of other breweries our size and 30% less energy. At Trademark Brewing, great beer isn't enough. We make it better. All right. So first beer, like you said, Codebreaker, West Coast IPA, 7%. They say this. Ooh, correct that on camera. Get that beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, Simcoe and Mosaic with a crisp foundation of two-row malts, light in color, dry, and big on dank stone fruit. Uh, WCLA is live at TMB. Um, Johnny, as we're pouring this, would you just kind of give that to the camera to see kind of what's in our glass or the can? Probably both. Uh, that's the can more or less going to be out of focus because we got high quality cameras right now, but there you go somewhere there. And then what's in the glass, my dude? Yeah, it's beer, man. It's a West coast IPA. It's light straw yellow, very see-through. It's pretty. It looks light. It's a really light yellow. Could I possibly have one of those glasses? Thank you very much. Just over here teasing you. No, it's good. I mean, it looks, it looks great. And we'll talk about the label more in a bit because I really dig that label and it feels like it would fit, uh, really nicely on our, on our label table here which I can't believe I've never thought of saying before. Um, but hopefully the beer lives up to how cool the label is. Let's get to tasting. Um, we've kind of covered all of the uh, the visual notes. It's it's a very light, straw-colored, you know, IPA. You could tell me maybe it's a carbonate, like a very heavily carbonated Kolsch or something, and I would buy that as well. But you've had a taste now. What do you think? That's solid. <clears throat> it reminds me of a lot of the, like that newer wave of West Coast IPAs from local breweries like pretty much a lot of folks on the west coast i think mainly is where we're seeing it but it's got that that new wave of modern ipa vibe happening in that it's it's a little bit juicy it's got a lot of like body it's got a lot of roundness to the flavor it's not just bristly and all hops and all bitterness like the bitterness is there but there's there's that those offsetting points of of a little juice and a little i don't know what you want to call it this is something, I mean, you've kind of occasionally railed against, like not not as a stylistic thing, but personally to you is like the newer age West Coast can be a bit a bit sweet. This has some, um, uh, or, or rather, maybe not even sweet, but like not as malty and not as heavy as some of like the OG stuff. See, I'm not I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, I guess. I don't like No, you're malts. right. You I've d- railed- oh, you don't even like those? No. Like, I don't like malty West Coast IPAs. What about what about Lagunitas? You love Lagunitas. It's fine. Oh no, I could have I could have sworn. Dude, we don't record for a month, and you just forget who I am. (laughs) It's rude. Well, you're a big Lagunitas guy in general, aren't you? Yeah, I still love the brand, and I love a lot of the people that work there. But are they making my favorite West Coast IPA in the world right now? No. Is it in the top twenty? Maybe. Even that feels like a bit of a. You think in terms of West Coast IPAs at all? You think just yeah, like an IPA. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I agree. I, I, the multi stuff isn't for me, though. I've really loved <clears throat> Torpedo for as long as I can remember. So, well, I mean, we all have nostalgia beers that are objectively 
the world of beer has evolved past, but we still hold dear. So that's fine. I mean, and it's a, it's at this point, Torpedo is almost like a classic style of IPA where it's people it's, are going to go back to it forever. Of course. So, okay, me um, failing at a at a talking point and forgetting your entire personality. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this beer? I think it's pleasant. It's really bright. It's crisp. It's it drinks very light. The Super hops, light. the hops, kind of hit you in like the last three quarters of the tasting experience. So like up front, very light, bright, crisp, just a little resiny, and then it kind of mellows out into like a bitter, longer flavor that kind of sticks around, uh, but in a good way. I, I love the hop presence. I love the balance. I think this is a really good representation of that new school West Coast IPA. Speaking of torpedo, like this. This is near the same alcohol ballpark. Mm-hmm. Like I think Torpedo Seven Two. Sounds this right. This is seven, yeah. Uh, and this is yeah. You're right. It's way lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I was like, I wonder if you got this right. It is seven, right? Like the can yeah. confirms. Like, I'm yeah. sure that's where you got your information. Um, really, really easy to put down. Mm-hmm. I think I, I'm I'm really digging this as well, man. I think um, it's super smooth. There's not a ton of hop aggression, which I, I you know sometimes is great, but mm-hmm. sometimes I like a West Coast IPA that's just like like it, it's clearly a hoppy beer but you could have probably several. Well, I um, think there's this misconception with West Coast IPAs where people think they need to be in your face, melt your palate, just wreck you with bitterness. And and that would be speaking more to tradition and where this, this style started. But like the current iteration that we're seeing is way more drinkable and super approachable and you know, easily drinkable in large quantities to probably a wider variety of people. You know, this beer is approachable to someone that's a big lager person, but it's also got the hot presence for someone like me that loves super pungent in your face beers to like see that they've done great things with the hops and it has great balance. It's well made, but it also is just, it's almost a new style. You know, it's, it's still technically a West coast Mm -hmm. IPA, but it Mm -hmm. is that new era. And, you know, there's so many great breweries doing it. I was just at a bottle share on black Friday and was drinking beers from Rip Brewing out of Huntington Beach. Pretty good stuff. Some of the best IPAs I've had in the last probably two years. Like, do we, do no we see joke. them in Chico? No, they don't distribute, but they ship in California. I think we should split a case on the podcast time just to review their beer and then just have a bunch of delicious stuff to drink. I mean, I'd call that a pretty solid Patreon segment. Obviously. Where we review a brand new brewery that it also feels like more, like less rude to me if we do a show or a show, do a beer on Patreon. And like, sorry, you can't get it versus doing it on the main feed. And like, sorry guys, like we're reviewing this, but you'll never drink it. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that idea. I think it'd be fun. Or we do it on the main feed and then just hook our patrons up with some. Ooh, that'd be fun. Right. Oh yeah, we could bring, we we have could, a whole case. We could bring those to, to one like of our monthly events. Yeah. 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 Okay. That'd be cool. But a brewery like that, um, my friend JJ brought some up from LA and I had never heard of him. And he's like, no, like they're making some of the best hops on the West coast. And He's got really good taste in beer, and I was super impressed. Um, but it is of this school of thought, like this vein of this modern thinking. And mm-hmm. these recipes don't have to be like they were 20 years ago. We can like make IPAs however we want. We totally. can make them lighter and drinkable and still hoppy, but just I could take down this whole 16-ounce can, no problem. On that note, would you, would you mind? Could I have a little more? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but I also think there's... There's like another thing that happens sometimes with with IPAs. It's like how how strong can we make? Thank you. These beers without people catching on because like there's a few times we've had like eleven 
certainly 10, but even 11 and 12% IPAs were like, are we sure this is that strong? Yeah, double check. It's, but and it always is. And, and those are the beers that I think stand out, obviously, because they're super strong. But there's something to be said for the craft at work and being able to create a beverage that is that strong that drinks this light, for example. Like yeah. It's 7%. But if you asked me, I would have said 5.5. Totally. It's just a light, enjoyable drinking experience. And for something to be that light and just goes down easy, but also has that hot presence kind of on the backbone, but it's mm-hmm. not it's not the defining feature, but it is an enhancing characteristic. I think striking that balance is is critical to making a great West Coast IPA of this style. You know, when I say style, yeah, the yeah, new yeah. era in this day and age. Sure. Beers these days. Beers nowadays. Is there anything you don't like about it? Anything? <clears throat> um, obviously, I think for anybody that's ever heard you talk about beer, if there was something glaringly disgusting that would have come out a long time ago. Yeah, so I'm no. asking you to nitpick a little bit. Uh, Nitpick-wise, I mean, there's a bit of of mustiness on the, the aftertaste. And How like, fresh and is this finish. can? It was fresh when Ken gave it to me. There's no date on the can, but he picked it up like at the source or very near it. Uh, we did take a month off due to travel and holidays and stuff, so... You know, fresh plus a month, uh, I would say. It's fair. And also what I'm tasting is is the actual hot presence. There's no off characters characteristics as far as, as age or anything like that. So I wouldn't lump it into that category. So I would say it's mainly just that kind of a, a, a musty, not as enjoyable hot presence where it's so late in the tasting experience that it feels like it's lingering because it comes on in that last three quarters instead of being bitter right up front mm. and then you're just yeah, used yeah. to it. It's like, but you were so light and crispy at first and then it goes away. But that's that's a major nitpick because you're yeah, drinking a West sure. Coast IPA. I'd also throw out that if we weren't drinking this beer to specifically have to talk about it, you probably wouldn't have too much time to experience that because you'd be going back for another drink. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to have one more sip and then I'm ready to rate it. Um, are you in that same neighborhood with me? Yeah, I got some thinking to do because this is I'm surprised at this beer. It's it's really showing me something. Like this is a big swing and a big hit from from Trademark Brewing as far as just a first impression. Like this being the first beer I've ever had from them, it's like a whoa, okay. Uh you guys mean business. This is super high quality, top tier stuff. So All right. Then the question goes like how big the score is. Well, take your time to think because I've arrived at mine. I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm very impressed. First time with this brewery. I like it a lot. I don't love it. It's mm-hmm. like for all of its easy drinking qualities and the high ABV, th- there's nothing in it that's jumping out to me as extremely unique or, or groundbreaking or anything like that. So for me, it's a very solid seven. Mm-hmm. I would love to drink it again. Um, I wish we had some idea of how much like a four pack could cost, but we haven't done our research yet. Well, you can check because they sell online. Yeah. You could just see what yes. they charge at the brewery. I remember it wasn't extravagant. You think like, can you ballpark it? Uh, I think the brewery retails this for like the twenty dollar a four pack range, which is pretty much industry standard. Totally, I'd pay that. I'd pay that for the four pack for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. I like it. I don't love it. I think it fits well into a canvas of very similar beers that are being produced all over the West Coast right now, and I think it is a seriously honorable mention. Um, as far as they could hold their own <clears throat> with a lot of breweries doing hoppy beers right now. I wouldn't travel for it. It's not going to be something that I, I buy and have shipped. It's not blowing my mind, but it is super solid, and I'm quite impressed. So it's 
7.8. 8. 7.8 is a great rating. That's, I mean, yeah, like we're, we're very close on ratings a lot of the time these days. Um, and I think either that speaks to you and I just sort of like getting, just stealing each other's brainwaves unintentionally, or like maybe we're onto something and this is like a fairly above average, not amazing beer. Yeah. You know I mean, well, I think that happens when you just taste and review beers with someone for so long. You sure. kind of, our palates have probably developed in a somewhat parallel, uh, yeah, road, fashion, fashion, sure. road, whatever. I mean, there's no way it couldn't have. I mean, we disagree on movies way more than we disagree on beers. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. But there's <laughs> been some. Sure. Yeah. You got anything else on this beer? Thanks, Ken. Good call. I'm Good, very yeah, impressed. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for knowing our, at least my taste and yours too, I guess. I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah. again, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, if you want to gift us beers, we'll review them on the show. I think that's a good great strategy. Bat signal there. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. Um, if for some reason you've tried Codebreaker and you couldn't agree or disagree more with our evaluations, please do get in touch. Let us know. You can leave a voicemail if you're feeling froggy or send a text to 530-433-0839. Again, if that number spells something, let us know what that spells. We're talking like 90s, uh, early 2000s, like phone letter systems in mm-hmm. case people don't know that. Yeah. But I think most people who are listening to this podcast drink beer, so sh- you should know. Yeah, you're over 21. Right? Um, if none of that makes any sense to you, uh, you can send us an email. Uh, and that's uh, fhccast at gmail.com. And most importantly, if you like the show, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Do it. It only takes a couple seconds, and it's one of the most effective ways to help get our show in front of new potential listeners like you were at one point before you were way cooler and listened to us all the time. What's next, you ask? It's a trailer for Saltburn. If you haven't seen it yet, don't worry. There's no spoilers in our next segment, so don't go anywhere. Did you know there was a college Christmas party tonight? NFI, me and you. Not f***ing invited. You all right? Yeah, I've got a flat tire. Take my bike. Hey, that is so kind. Thank you. I'm sorry I don't know your name. I'm uh, I'm Felix. Oliver. Oliver. (laughs) Oliver, I love you. I love you. I love you. All right, cheers, Ollie. My parents, they've got problems. What kind of? What do you mean, problems? I don't think I'll ever go home again. Well, why don't you come home with me? Come to Saltburn. Mr. Quick. Wow. And here he is now. Oh, what beautiful eyes. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, I told you he wasn't a minger. Oh, but darling, you're kind about everyone. You can't be trusted. I had them hang up an old school dinner jacket. We dressed for dinner here. Dressed for dinner? Yeah, it's like, uh, it was like black tie. I think I like you even more than last year's one. You're so, um... So what? Real. Can't have been easy for Venetia. With you being a mother. Why? Now it's time to take things up a notch. Shawty had them apple-bottom jeans. Boots with the fur. This place... You know, it's not for you. Lots of people get lost in Saltburn. Oh, that's just giving me goosebumps. Look, Pamela. Oh, no. I think you're a moth. Oh, 
quiet, harmless, drawn to shiny things. <laughs> what have you done? I just thought that maybe I could help. You're not leaving us. You're not leaving us. I don't think I'll ever go home again. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. It's a show with me and that guy, Max. It's a show about the worlds of craft beer and film. If you're listening on the radio waves of KZFR at 90.1 FM, you're sadly going to be missing out on some gold that's available exclusively to our podcast listeners. So if you'd like to hear the whole episode, go subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcast from. It's currently available for your streaming pleasure. So at the end of this, if you're just dying to know what all the hot and bothered fuss is about, you should just go listen. All right. That was the trailer for Saltburn. Here's the letterbox synopsis, which I think is a good enough place to start off talking about this. Struggling to find his place at Oxford University, student Oliver Quick finds himself drawn into the world of the charming and aristocratic Felix Catton, who invites him to Saltburn, his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. This was, again, written and directed by Emerald Fennell, who did Promising Young Woman back in 2020. It stars Barry Keoghan as Oliver Quick, um, Jacob Elordi, who I think almost certainly is mostly known for Euphoria. Um, he plays Felix. He was the quarterback. He was the quarterback. In Euphoria, right? He was a football player? Yeah. I don't remember that at all. It was season one, Euphoria? I just remember him being like a, an abusive like sex icon. Yeah, he was like the jock. Was he a jock? Yeah. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. Um, anyways, we've also got Rosamund Pike, who plays um, Felix's mom, Elspeth. Uh, Richard E. Grant shows up as his father, Sir James Catton. Allison Oliver is his sister, Venetia. And then Archie Medeque is Farley, his uh, cousin, adopted cousin from America, who doesn't quite fit in with the family, also goes to the school. Um, this premiered in August at Telluride, hit theaters on November 22nd, and it runs two hours and 11 minutes. Johnny Summers, your thoughts on Saltburn? <laughs> oh, that's such a loaded question. Also, we sh like there's so much like don't give anything away if you can help it. Mm. That's nearly impossible. I will not spoil any plot points. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Saltburn. Wow. Okay. This was a movie that was unexpectedly morbidly perverse in okay, ways that okay. were completely unexpected. Um, extreme was a word that kept coming to mind of just like, you know, pushing the limits of something uh, like of filmmaking just, and just what you would see, I don't know, at three 30 in the afternoon at Tinseltown, there was things in this movie that I was not expecting to see. I was a 1220. Ooh, in the middle of the day. <laughs> That's too early to watch this movie, my friend. Yeah. Um, it was, viciously original and also somewhat not like the entire plot was fairly done. It's something it's, it's, it used plot devices that you have seen before. It's, it's a, it's a formulaic plot that was kind of revamped and, um, taken to the extreme. So we'll get more into that. It's really hard to not spoil it. So I'm, I'm okay. using yeah, that makes sense. The, it makes sense to me. The vaguest, broadest strokes that I can, um, and it was 
cinematically, I mean, it was really pretty to look at. It was the cinematography in this movie was top notch, man. There was some amazing shots. It was this bizarre, like fever dream of um, like a out of body gas lit experience. Um, I mean, there was a, a rave where there was someone dressed up in a suit of armor and like there was just these these moments of real chaotic beauty in like those montages that I found just like I couldn't look away. It was gorgeous. Yes. Uh, and then you have, you know, like really deep dives into human depravity and what people will do to be accepted and to get from where they are to where they want to be. It was very thought provoking. It definitely pushed the boundaries of um, enjoyability. I would say uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. There, there was some scenes in this that will stick with me. Um, probably, I would say since Antichrist. I knew you were going to say that Lars von Trier movie. I yeah. just knew it. Well, I mean, as far as like shock value and just like scenes, just moments in a film that like will stick with you. I think this is probably the most memorable for that shock value of still being artistic while making you kind of just say, Ugh. what do you mean artistic? Um, artistic in that it wasn't cheap. It wasn't sexual for gratuitous reasons. It was like sexual for a purpose. It was displaying obsession or deeper intention. It, there wasn't a gratuitous... There, there's an argument to be made for the last scene of the movie. I'll, oh, I, I'll make a case. But uh, sure. That would say, you know, verging on gratuitous. But uh, I would say that it was artistic in that it was it was well shot and it was saying something. I think sure. that's the difference between anything gratuitous, sexual, or violent to an extreme verse that would make it artistic versus not. You know, so I yeah. I think it had an artistic bent to it. I think it was it was from a very unique mind. And it makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense that this mm -hmm. is the the sophomore film, the follow up to yeah. you know promising young woman. Yes, it had that. There's like a disparity in these films, like a hopelessness in in the characters oh, I see. that yeah. are being written. There's are, there's also like a weaponization of sexuality mm -hmm. that I th I think is done better in the first movie, but yeah. Um, but I hear what you're saying. I agree with it because I don't think sexuality was as weaponized in this movie. Really? Yeah. I mean, I could. I feel like I could make a pretty good case for it. In, but we. I mean, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, maybe in one interaction between two characters, but I think well, twice, two times, I think. Okay. Um, but All I right. think it was more about sexual obsession, and okay. and like unrequited love versus, um, the, like the male, dominated you know sexual overpowering in promising young woman okay there there was a different tone to it this one had a bit more like you know it was from like a male perspective of of just obsession and unrequited love i think it was a lot different it was just such a different angle than the first film well yeah uh, okay out of 10 what do you think so as as shocking as it was i think it was really entertaining I really okay. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Like I have told a few people about some of the more shocking scenes in this movie because I know they're never going to watch it, uh, and they asked. Uh, but 
as a whole, I thought it was very entertaining. I loved the cinematography. Mm-hmm. There were mm-hmm. some solid performances. Like Barry Keoghan commits yes. so hard. He does. Like, he he does. commits so hard, it's nauseating. Yes. Um, so I, I liked it. I'm, I didn't love it, but I would watch it again. I I think it's a movie that I'll recommend to a certain uh, avenue of person. Okay. Uh, and for me, it falls right in like the seven seven. It's pretty high, man. Okay. I enjoyed it I, quite a bit. All right. I enjoyed it. Parts of it. I think what you're saying about the cinematography is right. The to some extent, just the vision of it. And I don't necessarily mean, I mean purely the visual vision, not so much the plot or the subtext or what it's trying to talk about. I think a lot of that gets messy and convoluted and, and some of it's just abandoned by the end. Mm-hmm. Visually, great. I think in particular, some of the character work that is visually done before they go to Saltburn is great. I think like the, Barry Kogan's like, he's one of those character or one of those people who whenever he's on screen, you don't fully trust him. I don't know what it is. It might be his face. It could be his face. It's also the way he carries himself. He's really good at kind of like sleuthing. He's very slinky. Totally. So when he is playing up the sort of loner, obsessive friend at school, very good at it. Big Paul Dano vibes. Oh, sure. Uh, The way that they shoot him looking at Felix, I think, is very uh titillating it's it's reminiscent of somebody we all kind of knew like a quote-unquote weirdo in school that um and maybe it's because we knew them personally or maybe we've just seen it in cinema or read it in books for so long that you know the archetype i just think the movie starts to fall apart as we get to saltburn there's a lot of like the way they shoot some of the stuff you're talking about is very artistic um but i think it's just that for its own sake like I don't really know. I don't know what this movie's about. Really? Really. Like, I know what it's trying to be, but none of it lands by the end. Hmm. Um, and I was really disappointed. I, I think Barry Keoghan's great. I think he was not given enough. Um, I think he was given too many directions. Really? There's a scene where, and I didn't think of this reference, but I do think it's apt. There's a scene where a character, him, um, drinks bathwater. And it gives the impression of, him trying to stop the bathwater being in this metaphor of the movie from just completely going down the drain. He's really trying his best to like lap some of that up. I think that's his performance in a nutshell. He's trying to save this movie and the actor can only do so much with a given script. I just think the script is all over the place. I think the way that it ends is, um, is not quite condescending, but doesn't put enough faith in the audience that we could have put some of this together. I think that I would agree with that. It got mustache twirly and it feels very like, ah, you didn't, you had no idea. It's like, well, I had some idea yeah. and maybe that's like, I mean, like maybe it's a casting choice. Um, or, or maybe it's just like an, an incredible series of unfortunate events that happens. That is like, something's clearly going on. The only new piece to this puzzle is this guy. Like, so, and, and that seemed to be the point of the movie was, how it ends, obviously like that's the payoff. And it just, it wasn't satisfying. I think, there's some stuff about like the whole movie's kind of about classism in a way. Um, the guy's name is Oliver Quick, which you know if you don't immediately think of, like Oliver Twist, mm-hmm. and all you have to know about Oliver Twist is that like he was an orphan and had to then he wanted to do some more. bad stuff, had to commit crimes based on the circumstances he was put in. I have a hard time believing this was named Oliver Quick and didn't share some of those associations. Like there's so there's that there's there's some racism brought up there's um, 
There's, yeah, sexual power dynamics that I think are kind of explored, but not really. It's just got a lot of stuff going on. See, I can't wait for the danger zone. No, I, it, this is almost impossible uh, to really satisfyingly talk about without talking about specific examples. Yeah. But here we are trying to do our best. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I was bummed out. I wanted to like it. I was engaged. I was with it for the most part. And then by the end, I was just, I found myself just being like, oh, all right, I could guess. And I had the anticipation of Promising Young Woman, which I thought was pretty good. Mm. And this just did not deliver. I think for me, it's a like a four out of 10. Wow. Yeah, I was pretty bummed. See, everything you said that you thought this movie was about, I have completely different thoughts. Like, I, I think we it. watched a different movie. Well, I then I mean, in that spirit, I've got nothing else we need to talk about here. We can jump straight into spoilers Please, if you're Please, for, for the love of God. Okay. Um, once again, you've been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, possibly on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you have thoughts on anything we've discussed in the show so far today, please get in touch. Uh, again, you can call or text at 530-433-0839, or feel free to send a good old-fashioned email to fhccast at gmail.com. When we come back, we will be discussing Saltburn with spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, consider this your second to last warning and don't touch that dial or podcast button on your phone because we'll be right back with The Danger Zone. All right, welcome to The Danger Zone. Once again, this is your final warning. We are spoiling Saltburn. It's in theaters now. If you'd like to, you can just, you can go watch it. Yeah, if you're listening on the radio, uh, again, we are available in podcast form wherever podcasts are found. So um, by no means feel free uh, no, by all means, feel free uh, to change the radio station for the rest of the show for the next 15 minutes. Come back to KZFR, of course, um, and then catch up with spoilers on the podcast platforms. It's gonna You're going to have to censor me a lot because it's going to be very hard not to swear. I've got a long week, man. Please try your best. <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least, Johnny, I will make you do, I'll make you do my job, which is – where is it? Where's the uh, Where's the little – The dog clicker? The sensor. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's your training clicker is what it is. Uh, well, there's one. There's, right there. I can't. There it is. It was behind our my fancy new cup that I'll talk about. Not bothered. Anytime you do it, man, you just you're in charge of that. Okay, deal. Okay. <laughs> I swear, it's like a, it's a it's a dog training clicker that I use. Um, this is a little behind the scenes peek for you, but I use it to you know when we're like transitioning out of segments and I have to make cuts. It appears very visually on our on our screen. You want to hear it? No one else is going to hear it, so this oh, actually we'll just won't leave transit. it in. I'm, no, I'm never leaving it in. No way. That's like leaving the green screen behind. It's the behind Avengers. the scenes. This Fine, is click it one time for the no, listeners. They don't deserve okay, it. Okay, I agree. So, Saltburn is yeah. the point. We're spoiling it. I didn't like this movie almost at all. You did. Yeah, we um, have some fundamental differences here, and I'd like to discuss uh, our takes on what this movie is about, and maybe get to the 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 bones of why I liked it and you didn't. All right. Since we're also doing behind the scenes stuff, would you do me a favor? Adjust your microphone because. You see how close? I, like you're about here, and it's like I want people to hear the. Yeah, the, it's because we were on camera before. I wanted to look sexy, bro. You d- and you did. Yeah. And now it's about function over form. Would you rather send out your praise for this movie and have me talk about how I feel about your praise, or do you want me to tell you I didn't like it and you counter that? Well, I mean, I want to. I think my biggest point of contention is what you think this movie is about, and mm-hmm. how you said that you didn't even really understand what it was about. I can tell you what I think the movie wanted to be about. Okay. Uh, and how I think it fell short of that. Now, you could then say, no, that's not what it's about at all. You're missing You're missing the movie. You tell me what you think, and I'll tell you what I think. All right. And then we'll talk about our opinions, like so, adults. So there's a few things going on at the same time in this movie that is what made it difficult for me. And I've got no issues with movies saying multiple things, multiple messages, I think awesome. This one seems to be concerned with an absolute lunatic, Oliver, um, becoming obsessed with this guy, Felix, and making a plan to take over his family's house, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
for no good reason. I don't understand why. He seems it's to have a awesome. decent- It's awesome, but like, I don't understand the, the pathology behind his lying, behind his um, pretty awful manipulations. I do. So there's, okay, so there's that. There's that character. The movie itself, outside of just individual characters, is wanting to be about- it's like it's it's almost like one of the the eat the rich movies that we've kind of seen lately, be it um, the menu with Anya Taylor Joy and Ray Fiennes, or like loved it, the hunt, um, which I think we both like liked liked it. It was fine, didn't love it. But it's there's a theme in the past several years in mainstream cinema that is like rich people are the worst. It would be awesome to watch them for ninety minutes, get what's coming to them. Another mm-hmm. one would be like um, Ready or Not, I think is the movie. Um, where it's like all these rich people invite a girl over for dinner and then they're like, go hide or maybe it's hide and seek. Either way, there's a couple of these movies that came out. Wasn't that? That's another the one. The hunt? Uh, no, no. They made two movies <laughs> about hunting. The hunt two. happens in the wild. It's like the purge. It feels like the purge to me. Oh, okay. Uh, ready or not slash hide and seek. Oh, that those... was the one with the girl that looks like Margot Robbie. Yeah. yeah. In the mayor. Um, oh, I almost had her name. Um, so disrespectful. We should just know her name. There's three. There's Margot Robbie. There's um, Emma Mackey from Sex Education, the Netflix show. And then there's um, this gal who I can't quite think of the name of. But yes, that is. That was. Oh, and then there's the gal from uh, My Name is Earl. I don't know what that is. I mean, I know what the movie there's is. There's like, okay. So there's like four people that look. There's four slender, attractive blonde women working in Hollywood. That look like Margot think, Robbie. Yeah, sure. Um, anyways, the point is there's lots of these movies in the past few years that are about like rich people are the worst here, here, they're going to try to get you. And then we're going to get them by the end of the movie. This has that kind of, I don't hate the people in this movie as much as I hate the protagonist. So that was difficult for me. Yeah. Um, I also had a huge, so good. So there's that, there's the classism of, of the uber wealthy trying to just, aren't they the worst? Aren't, this is such a crazy life that they live and they're so out of touch with reality with their lavish parties and their, uh, fetishizing of poor people, you know, like, because the, the first time we meet them, I think they're, Oliver's coming through another room in the house and they're talking about how awful his life is and how dreary and um, it makes you not like them immediately. They're like gossipy and, and looking down on him and what, like, you're not even sure why he's been invited, but part of you feels like he's being invited to be made fun of a little bit. Yeah. He's getting, she's all that in. Right. There's, there's also sequences like, like the Farley character was, as an archetype and as a, as a placeholder for something larger, one of the more interesting people potentially for me, because he's arguably the only person of color in this whole movie. And it's brought up like at one point he mentions to, um, I think it's to Felix. Like he says two people's name and Felix is like, who's that? And he's like, your footmen and the footmen are black and Felix doesn't know their names. So it's brought up that like, maybe there was going to be this thing of, you know, of like white people being mean to black people. It's more complicated than that, obviously. But that's just dropped and never brought up again. I thought that would have been an interesting way to take the movie because then we could have had some social commentary. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. Yeah. I think those are the three big ones that bothered me. And I like I just wish that the the Oliver character would have been more fleshed out. Like I don't fully understand his motivation for a lot of stuff. Um, I was about three minutes late to the movie. It's possible I missed something. When did you walk in? Because I walked in when he was walking into came, uh, Oxford. You were late too? Yeah. <laughs> I I walked into them critiquing his essay, him and Farley. Oh, okay. So like You just a missed minutes. a couple brief interactions? I don't think anything major. Like I read the no. plot synopsis on Wikipedia to make no. sure it wasn't even mentioned. No, there wasn't anything major. So, and there's, of course, for those out of context, there's a big reveal. Like the reason he gets invited to this is because Felix feels so bad because his dad has just died. Not Felix. Oliver's dad just died mm-hmm. in like a drinking accident. Not yeah. even true. Came from a pretty good upbringing. Just yeah. wanted to fit in and not be the loner. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand 
any of his motivation. Okay. So those are kind of my main gripes. Okay. See, I understood his motivation Lay it the on whole me. time, man. Elucidate me. <clears throat> so, I mean, I think Oliver even says it pretty clearly at one point about like why he did what he did. Okay. Uh, he, to Felix. He said, everyone puts on a show and gives Felix what Felix wants. Everyone has to play the part and be the character to, to make Felix happy. Right. Okay. So he said that in the movie. Like sure. he's literally playing a character to appease this person's sensibilities. And it's proven because his sister even says, I like you more than last year's, meaning that he brings sure. home strays. That's another thing year. that wasn't really explored. Like that gave me strong see, get out vibes. I, see, like, I like that because, yes, it got mustache twirly at the end. Yeah. But there were those moments where it, the film let you fill in your own gaps and okay. insert those puzzle pieces like oh okay does felix do this every year it sounds like a habitual thing like he takes in strays wounded animals he's like got this savior complex right but like is there any downfall to that like it seems like he's a nice guy well the way the movie ended was a pretty big downfall no 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 to, um, <laughs> to felix like he's he felt like i think him inviting oliver who at that point he's distancing himself he's yeah like, this guy's too clingy but his dad died he's like please like come sure. stay with us he seems like a nice dude no exactly and i think um the eat the rich thing i think maybe not necessarily true for this because the entire motivation of the main character is coveting that it's not something that is despised it is something that is desired so much we are yeah. diving deep into how depraved he will go to manipulate the entire family and and uh farley the cousin sure, like sure everyone involved to weasel his way in. So this isn't a story about um, as much it is, there's classism, sure, but sure. it's not raging against that machine. Uh, in the words of Zach DeLaRocca, mm -hmm. I don't want the G-Ride, I want the machines that are making them. Okay. Right? So he's yeah. trying to, and he successfully does, get the whole bag, right? Sure. Mom signs over the inheritance at the end. Yes. We're not talking you get to stay at the house, now you yeah. have generational wealth. So it yeah. was a movie about coveting the lush, um, just nefarious, um, hedonistic lifestyle of the rich and yeah. wanting that for yourself and also becoming unhealthily obsessed with the people that possess it, even if they are inherently good people. Like, I like that. Most of take. the family is not are not good people, right? The dad's pretty shady. The yeah, mom like, is taking in strays and talking crap about them behind their mm -hmm, back. Like mm -hmm. the sister, her own bag of problems. So little, she's, who knows? She's harmless, but also taking up too but much But still space. kind of like mentally- Not, not great. Twisted, yeah. not great. No. Um, but that's what this movie about is for me. It is the absolute disparity and not eating the rich, but becoming the rich. Like, I like that. That's like nice. He wants to put on their skin and become them. And so it's it's taking it to that level of extremity. And I love uh, yeah. it for that. You're right. That's true. I mean, yeah, he, he's he's and they make a point of this. Him and his one friend who looks like wish.com Bo Burnham, mm -hmm. who is in the new um uh yeah, House of the Dragon Game of Thrones. He was one of the oh, Targaryens. Yeah. Whatever. They're like the only two kids at Oxford who aren't rich or something. No. And they they're like 
clearly not invited to parties because mm-hmm. of that. And like, so, so I get it. Like, yes, to want to be included. Yeah. But I just don't get, he goes from normal to like really, really intense. And I just didn't understand that leap. And maybe the character was always like that. And we just jump in at this point in the story, but still, I don't think that there was enough character building done or character development done to justify the arc that we are taking on with him. There are drastic turns in Oliver's character arc, mm-hmm. particularly that first scene outside with, with uh, what's her name? The sister. Her name is Venetia. Venetia, with yeah. Venetia Allison Oliver. outside where they have a, a somewhat grotesque sexual encounter. It's well, called passion, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. It's, a, it's um, insane. It was the first shocking moment where you realize how demented Oliver is and like the extremity that he possesses inside of him yes. to manipulate people and to try and wrap people around his finger by whatever means necessary. And yes. it was really, in my opinion, it was extreme and it was out of left field, but it was also a defining moment for that character yeah. because it solidified the fact that this person is completely unhinged. And at that point, the movie took a turn into depravity. And yes, like we're following along with a character that is massively unhinged, mentally unstable, willing to seduce be violent towards, uh-huh. you know, basically run the gamut, do whatever he has to do to not steal, but absorb and manipulate into being given the so far from pedestrian medium white existence right. that he has entertained thus far that he's like trying to go from the suburbs to the Playboy Mansion. And there's that, you know, young 20s hormone fueled just desire for this thing that is so utopian that it's in your dreams and then he gets to live it yeah and then it consumes him it's a movie about obsession and being super covetous mm-hmm. and not having limits and just the massive extremes that you will go to to get what you want no matter who it hurts mm-hmm. you want to get to that next level and i thought it was a really well done portrayal of that kind of um, single-handed determination. Yeah. Do you think that was his goal from the get-go? Was to like yes. essentially kill everybody and take over? Uh, it, it, it seemed like it was a develop, developing situation. It felt like there was some things that maybe he did on the fly because yeah. he was almost... At the end of the film, when they're going back and you have kind of those mustache twirly moments that. at the I end. I hated that moment so That much. was disrespectful to me as... as uh, yeah, totally. That's why I didn't get above an eight. Sure. It did not stick the landing. No, it, the end was frustrating because it felt insulting to me as a viewer. Like I get it, dude. I get you don't totally. You don't need to hold my hand through this, okay? Yes. So it felt like the the filmmaker was talking down to me a bit. A bit. But in that flashback sequence, I think what was your original question? Um, do you think his entire goal from the get go was to do this? Yes, because. In that flashback sequence, it kind of goes all the way back to the beginning of right, him where the bike tire putting, of, of him the bike tire and putting on this front. Okay. So it was a plan. Whether homicide was the initial intention right. or that, that's not, that's what I mean. That's what I'm or asking. if it snowballed, maybe even to out of his control. Who knows? Like I think yes. that is where. That's why I kind of like wanted to push back against. Like yes, it left. It was very handholdy with the explanation, mm-hmm. but also those kind of questions are left open for interpretation. Like who knows yeah. if it was the idea the entire time or if it was, cause he did at one point leave. He did. That's so, true. So, well, so, so 
there's a character that we haven't talked about, which is Pamela. That's Carrie Mulligan, who was the lead in Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of, and you you hinted at her earlier, she's a she's a friend of the family who's staying with them for a few weeks because something in her life has gone poorly. Everything. Yeah, everything. Um, and the way that Carrie Mulligan, who, by the way, is very talented as an actress, I think she's great. She is so over the top as this, and she has like maybe five lines in the whole yeah, movie. She, but she's a presence. But she's full on like New Jersey cigarette mom. Yeah. And I um, loved it. I do too, but it, like, it felt like she was acting in a different movie than at least Barry Keoghan was, or, or Rosamund Pike seemed in on some of the humor. Mm-hmm. Rosamund Pike has one of the best lines in the movie where she says, in a casual conversation, says something like, I was a lesbian for a time, but I found I, women were too- It was all too, too wet. It was all too wet. Men are so wonderful and dry, <laughs> which I love because this is the wettest movie I've ever seen. It's pretty wet. It's got all of, it's, it has every potential human- uh, Fluid? No. No, you're right. Not everyone, but a few. Most of them. Yeah. I'd say the big ones. The big three. <laughs> Listen, we don't have to do this on the radio. We can talk about this in Hot and Bothered because yeah. I'm getting that way talking about it. But <laughs> the point is, the Carrie Mulligan character is the first one to go. And by go, I mean leave. Mm-hmm. We later find out she is dead. Mm-hmm. I think probably, at least if it wouldn't have been tied up so neatly in what he did, I would have assumed he killed her too somehow. So he would killed. be the main focus. Right. And and I think if anything, like his motivation would have been like to weasel his way in little by little. And so he realized she's gone, but that's still not enough. Then Farley's gone. That's not enough. Felix is gone, which uh, kind of undercuts all of his obsession with Felix. Like I, why the bathtub scene? Why the peeking through in college when Felix is getting it on with other people? Like, I just find it hard to believe he would have been so okay killing Felix. I don't because I think it, like I said, the whole thing was a covetousness of these people's entire being. But I think also Felix's body, like he's into he, him, but also he wants to be him. I think it goes deeper than just being jealous. Okay. I think he wants to be him. That's the whole motivation. And I think when you look at it through that lens, his actions make so much more sense. Like he drank that bathwater so he would have some of him inside of but him. But that's cra- I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, of course. No one's saying it's not crazy. No one's saying that. Yeah. But yeah. when you understand maybe that that's where it's coming from, the movie makes more sense. It does. So a little. It's still crazy. Like Barry Keoghan's character is absolutely nuts. Bonkers. I mean, just, just clinically. Discount store bananas. Oh. I, but he's at Oxford. Like so crazy people can still be smart. I know, like, but like they can't usually pass that easily. Like he's like so nuts. Look, but like, look at like Ted Bundy. I mean, it's been documented in history that like massively intelligent, charming yeah, people yeah, yeah. can be the most devious and malicious. So I think it's it's something that kind of piggybacks on that serial killer yeah, trend. Yeah, maybe. you know, I mean, it's. It's a character that's very believable given the climate of today's pop culture entertainment. What do you think of the final scene? I thought it was pretty great. It's pretty great. Not going to lie. Do you want to set it up in a radio-friendly way? (laughs) (laughs) I challenge you, sir. (laughs) So enter Barry Keoghan, nude. Sure. Some fantastic, I can't remember the song. I'm looking it up right now. It would be great if you could just lay it under. We can't do this for the radio. No, we can't. But, but I might, for the podcast. If I have time, I'll do it. Yeah. So it's a fantastic song. Did you know the song? No. It's called It's called Murder on the Dance Floor. I love it. Okay. I've heard it before, mm-hmm. and you say the name, and I can start hearing the song. 
And it's once he's completely... It's just him. He's gotten everything. He's won. Enter him nude. Mm -hmm. We have this fantastic long shot following behind him Mm -hmm. at buttocks level. Yeah, yeah. Through like the entire house, and he is just doing this fantastic dance. It's it's really great. It's really great. It yeah. was, it was way better than the whole handholdy explanation of why that we already knew. Yeah. Um, that was a strong. You could finish. just cut out that whole handholdy part and, and just flashed after after like she whatever like and you cut to that like, yeah yeah we get it yeah flashed he it, he, yeah. he won he won it's his, his house he's yeah. dancing naked yeah through the house. And it was, you know, that song is going to be tied to that scene in my mind for some time. It yeah. was, it was like, dare I say, iconic. But it was, uh, it's good, man. He was doing his victory dance, and yes. it was uh, the the end piece to the movie. And you know, dancing around naked in a house is uh, not normal person behavior. So I think it just, it's pretty on brand yeah. for for young Oliver. And it was it was a nice end piece to the movie. I thought it finished pretty strong. I would love to see a montage of final scenes in movies where the protagonist dances in um, a euphoria. There, only, that's, can can you think sh- of any? It's going to be a short list. I can think of one off the top of my head, which is um, uh, another round where Mads Mikkelsen is, what a night. Oh. He's doing his like, I, I did, there's like some God, insane euphoria movie. to movies that decide to end with their protagonist tossing caution to the wind and be like, I'm dancing because I feel good. Regardless of if I should or not, like this is how I'm doing it. I don't think there's many more, but that'd be a great list. I bet you there's more. Yeah. There's a book probably on the shelf behind you that has a scene like that. Makes sense. So all that to say, that's why I think you were wrong. Well. But I mean, opinions are all personal. I still... I think yes. You just you got the wrong things out of it, and Maybe. that's okay. I just still think it is sloppy. I just I and, and you've made some good cases. Like you've made some good points. Um, you've made a good case. I feel like it's more cohesive than when this conversation started. I still don't feel any different about the movie, hmm. and it's a movie that does rely a bit on your feelings and one's ability to take in stride scenes like the bathtub scene or the moonlit. Uh, slip scene. Yeah. The sanguine slip. Sure. Or, or yeah, or like any of the more um, potentially lewd and lascivious stuff. I just, <clears throat> and I have the same problem with the Antichrist movie, the, the Lars von Trier movie. I mm-hmm. think some of that's just in there, despite the beautiful cinematography in that movie. Like, and I've only seen it once and it's been a few years. I just don't think that those scenes serve the larger message of the movie. Mm. And I think if you lean on gratuity, for the sake of shock, you undercut what could be a larger point. And that's a hard line to draw. I think this one crossed it for me. I think Antichrist crosses it. Um, it's tough. I mean, that's a that's a critic-to-critic situation. But. Yeah, because I, I don't know if it comes down to, like, a matters matters of constitution. And like, I don't know either. Like, what you have the stomach for totally. and, like, the, uh, the level of how shocking is shocking to a person. Right. You know, it's it, like you said, that's a very critic to critic yeah. situation. Um, I think I got more out of the movie than you did. I definitely enjoyed it more than you did. You're taken away more than I am. Yeah. I feel like you had a lens in your mind that you wanted to see it through and it didn't fit. So the movie didn't make sense. Um, no, not that I went in with that lens. It's just, that's the lens that seemed most obvious to me. Mm. Uh, and I will chalk that up partially probably to personal experience, but also like that's what it seemed to be trying to say. And then that's what I tried to latch onto. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I interpreted it. But it's not to say that's the only way to do it. Obviously. I mean, that's fair because Promising Young Woman had a very clear mm-hmm. um, 
you know, kind of a social justice, but also women's rights. And like, there's some very clear good versus bad. Well, it also movie. came out in 2020. Yeah. Like a time where I think, I think that was, that was the me too, hashtag me too year. It was during it. Yeah. Right in there. I thought it happened before that, but doesn't maybe matter. 2019, but it, it was a cultural moment. Yeah. It was easy for everyone to be like, Oh, like we can relate to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean like the, the, the good guys versus bad guys, there were pretty cut and dry. Although I liked the emotional, um, sort of ethical nuance that was introduced by the Bo Burnham character kind of being involved in the, um, transgression that kicked off the motivation for the Carrie Mulligan character to do what she, like to, mm-hmm. to go on the crusade she goes on. So that was nice. Um, and that made it a little more dicey. Um, people had some issues with the way that movie ends. And I don't remember what we talked about specifically in that movie, but I remember that movie being, I, I love that movie or at least very strongly like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one is, is more of, um, maybe a timeless idea kind of. Yeah. Like you said, it's a story that's kind of been told in yeah. different ways and, and that maybe works to its disadvantage a little bit for me at least. It makes sense. I mean, you have to push boundaries and and go further than your predecessors if you're going to stand on the shoulders of existing ideas. So yeah, totally. Whether that worked or not, that's up that's up to you. I think you should watch it. You being the, the audience, sure. And also you again. I think, I'm not going to watch it again. Really? I'm not. I and and Bro, it, you've watched, it's not because I dislike it. It's because we've got other. Like I would probably watch Napoleon before I do this. I still haven't watched The Killer, and it's on Netflix. I have no excuse. It's a click. Right. Away. Like there's just too many movies. Um, unless I find a movie that I really love, I'm probably not going to sit down and watch it again. And I've watched less movies this year than I have since we've started the show. It's been it's been a long year, um, with other stuff, and yeah. just it's a bummer because there's a lot of blind spots. I'm hoping to catch up on in the next couple of months, but for now, yeah, this won't go towards the top of my rewatch list. Because that list doesn't exist right now. So that's where I'm at with this. Do you have any more thoughts on this movie, Saltburn? I think I've gotten all the salt Saltburn out of my system. <laughs> um, very briefly, can we talk? Because we've got a couple minutes. We're not going to, uh, for you radio listeners, we're going to break format today. And we're not going to have enough time, sadly, to get into our second beer. But again, it is on the podcast feed. So I think we take the last couple minutes we have. And um, since we don't have any more thoughts on this, maybe discuss... Um, potential movies we'll be talking about in the upcoming weeks. Ooh, that's fun. You mentioned The Killer, which is the new David Fincher. I still want to do that because so, we're, yeah. we're both huge David Fincher fans. He's great. And it's it's a Michael Fassbender um, movie about a serial killer. In He's a hitman. A hitman, sorry. And it's a David Fincher I mean, movie. which technically are the same thing, I guess, though, huh? Um, Just different motivations? No. Hitmen are paid to do this thing. Serial killers are usually psychopaths who do this out of a compulsion. Yeah. Hitmen are professionals. They're professional serial killers. Uh, no, yeah, that now a, a yeah. serial killer is like a, a clinical term for usually a psychopath who just does this because that's how they have to live. Serial killers or uh, hitmen do it because they got to pay the bills. Oh wow, okay. Like, they don't have to like they won't wake up and like itch for it. The You're same standing way standing pretty hard for. Well, I think right I'm now. right. I mean, you know, they're professionals. I think like just Miriam Webster, like definitions i'm pretty sure hitmen are technically serial killers the okay fine the definition from merriam webster is a person who commits a series this is serial killer commits a series of murders often with no apparent motive and typically following a characteristic predictable behavior pattern i'm gonna highlight often with no apparent motive well to the people getting murdered there's no pattern i don't care their perspective doesn't matter they're dead a hitman on the other hand is a person who is paid to kill someone i will call that a motive especially for a criminal or political organization. They are very different people. Yeah. Okay, now type into Google machines. Okay. Are hitmen serial killers? I don't need to do that because I just read you the definitions. Serial killers. Uh, this is not really a Googleable question. You're 
Although yeah. somehow it is. Yeah. This is this is from vintage is the new old.com. Obviously a highly credible source. Although professional hitmen and serial killers share the common characteristics of killing multiple victims in separate and unrelated events, hitmen are not serial killers because their motivation to kill is strictly financial. Basically what I said, but more well put. Can we close this case? I guess. Great. All right, so I'm stoked on the killer. Yes. Um, that's one that's like right at the top of my list for multiple reasons. Um, yes. I'm personally not super stoked on Napoleon. How do you feel about that movie? I'm stoked. Yeah? yeah. I love So Ridley Scott directed. Yeah. Um, Joaquin Phoenix playing Napoleon. Right. And um, this is what, the, the second, third time they've teamed up? Oh, okay. Uh, definitely second. I would say second. Because it was Gladiator. Yep, that's what we're, Nick Land shout out, probably in order. Yeah. Great. Um, I mean, I can look, but I don't think there's... Okay, so at least second. Definitely second. Okay. And then isn't um, Joaquin Phoenix also going to be in the Gladiator sequel? Um, I don't know. Okay. I know one's in the works, and I'm pretty sure Ridley Scott's doing it, so... Okay. Um, so I'm pretty ambivalent on that. Like, if it was up to me, I would say killer all day. Dude, okay, sure. Um, but also I understand the merit of doing Napoleon just because of its pop culture context. Of course, it's, it's a huge movie. I mean, it's, it's a Ridley Scott, to some extent, huge historical epic. But I, from everything I've read and listened to about this movie, it's kind of like two movies in one. Because on one hand, you have like Napoleon, the, the military leader and the conqueror. And you also have Vanessa Kirby in this movie who plays his wife or muse or something. And it's like a really like kind of like filthy freaky sex show oh like well, it's like, okay, a, like a t- now i got you <laughs> so you know that changes <laughs> things totally sir movie. and i just want to see because because the way that it's being marketed is very much like i mean i like salt burn you said freaky no sex i thing. know I, it would have made such a great double feature this week on the show but the way the movie's being marketed is like there's the battle on the ice it's like a war movie it's a war epic from ridley scott and we're like we've all seen gladiator we know how it goes is he bait and switch people it's, yeah it's not that movie um, is he baiting people with the English, the French English patient? For yeah, for what it's worth, um, that was a good joke. I have never seen the English patient. <sighs> Sorry, can I just then? <laughs> nice job. Um, th- the average rating for this right now on uh, what's this? This is Napoleon. Okay, on the Google reviews is two point two out of five. Oof. And let me just pick at random some of these uh, some of these l- one star reviews. I'll just literally. We saw Napoleon yesterday. We were thoroughly let down, to put it mildly. Joaquin Phoenix's performance was lacking depth. Okay. He failed to evoke. This is actually about the performance. I was hoping this wouldn't be the case. You would, You were hoping it'd be a not a good review? This is like three pages long. Hang on. Um, I mean, this is a lot about Joaquin Phoenix's performance, but okay. So you, you clicked on a good review. I've clicked on a wordy review that is not about what I was hoping it would be about. <laughs> so the narrative is not fit. I've also heard in this movie there's some historical inaccuracies, which, like, in a historical biopic about somebody as uh, anti-pun intended, uh, large as Napoleon. Yeah. Like, you kind of want it to be accurate, probably. Your Napoleon wasn't even that short. Uh, Dude, that he was my height. You're not exactly tall. No, but I'm not short. I'm not, like, freakishly, like, if I did something epic, people wouldn't name a complex after me because I'm short. Well... No, you're like five. What are you? Five one? Five seven and a quarter? <laughs> okay, <laughs> mother. All right. Well, you're, yeah, you're not short. How tall was Napoleon? He was like my height. He was like five seven, no, five six. That's not true. Yeah, dude. How he was not was. that short. He gets a bad rap. Uh, okay. He was five two. Whoa. Yeah, he's short. 
He's a short king. So whatever. I think now, I think we're about at our time. So we're either probably going to be watching The Killer or Napoleon or what I was planning on us watching, which is The Bike Riders, which is- um, What? Yeah, it's a film starring Austin Butler, Michael Shannon, um, about, a, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of others, but a, a Midwestern biker gang. Yeah. That I thought you'd be super into. It also has Tom Hardy. Like, it's a movie that basically feels like your motorcycle show. Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy. Um, yeah, it's directed by, uh, by Jeff Nichols. Why has it got to be my show? I've never watched it, That's so there's great. only two of us here. Uh, I'm going to make a case for probably that movie, actually. I'll hmm. show you some trailers and we'll go, but if anybody has thoughts, feel free to, to write us and let us know what you think. So that's where I'm at with all this stuff. All right, so we got it down, narrowed down to three. Yeah, seems reasonable. Johnny Summers, you got anything else? No. All right. Um, as one more reminder to our radio listeners, if you want to hear the rest of today's conversation, which includes the always unpredictable hot and bothered and a whole nother beer review, or if you just want to go digging through seven plus years worth of episodes dating back to 2016, head over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema. We'll be back on the radio waves of KZFR next Saturday at 4 p.m. So until then, consume some films and salt burn and beers that broaden your horizons. And if you enjoyed their show, you can leave a tip at kzfr.org. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. To those of you currently heading to the beach or cleaning your house and listening in podcast form, we'll be right back with another beer review. And we're back with beer number two. This is, again, Trademark Brewing Company out of Johnny Summers. <laughs> out of Johnny Summers? Out of Johnny Summers. No, into Johnny Summers. Sure. That's uh, where it goes. Out of Long Beach. Yeah, man. So... Johnny, what kind of beer? Tell me some stuff about it, and we'll go from there. Yeah, Perfect Circle is a West Coast IPA. It is a little bit bigger than the first one we did. It's 7.4% ABV. Uh, and from their website, we read, We're celebrating all the fancy hops in this bright and tropical West Coast IPA that Max is enjoying right now. Yes, indeed. Featuring Mosaic, Mosaic Lupamax, what? and oh. Mosaic Incognito, plus Citra, and Citra Lupamax. Look for vibrant notes of passion fruit, guava, and fresh citrus. Perfect Circle drinks crisp with a clean bitterness on the end. So wait a minute, you said there's mosaic and citra, but you all so there's two hops. And you said loop. You said Lupamax. Yeah. What's uh, what is that? What's Lupamax? You ask. What? Lupamax. <laughs> I'm asking what Lupamax is. Max, you ask what Lupamax is. What is that? Lupamax, uh, from Haas Hops. Okay. The purveyor of Lupamax. Yes. We read, Lupamax is a highly consistent, concentrated lupulin pellet designed to deliver optimized hop flavor. All right. Standardization uh, of lupulin. Whoa, burp. Little burpy boy. My God. Standardization of lupulin content delivers true to type hop flavor and reliable brewing performance. Max, are you fully versed in what lupulin actually is? I, of course I am, dude. Do you want Do you want me to tell people or do you want to tell people? Do you want to Google it or do you? I don't need to Google it. I okay. definitely, I know what it is. It's like, it's almost, it's like a powder. It's the dust. It's the dust it's, from the hop. It's like basically. basically the hop pollen. Yeah. If you're a purveyor of uh, marijuana products, it would be what uh, you make like a hash out of. Put it in terms of beer drinkers because that's useless on our show. We're not a marijuana podcast. We're a beer podcast. It's like lupulin. So I think the first lupulin forward beer that I had um, was Fall Rivers, Lupulin River. Do you recall this beer? Yes, I do. Oh, oh is it Knee Deep or is it Fall River? That's uh, Knee Deep. Okay, the Knee Deep. Um, but I remember like there was the whole thing. Like Nobody had really, at least in my beer circle, really been talking about lupulin. Um, but yeah, so I, I like the idea of it being concentrated into a pellet, even though I, on some level I hate pellets. Like I feel like they're... 
like the gerbily. Yeah, I mean, sure, aesthetically, but but even like the idea of them like getting rid of all the imperfections of a real hop. And I sound a lot older than I am right now, but there's something to it about like like fresh hops just being put into a beer, and it's like the pellets seem, I don't know, a little bit less fun. They're definitely way more like white lab Cody. Definitely, they're very scientific. Like, um, they they feel way more like a, a, a an ingredient than than hops, like a like a than an uh, additive than an, uh, exactly versus an ingredient. But you want that though because it gives you even flavor and consistency and long term viability. Yes. No, I agree. There's like, there's yes there's there's a there's con- an argument there. Yeah. It's not even an argument. It's just it's good. It's the facts. So like, yeah, but it's how I feel is that it shouldn't be that way. Pellets revolution. You turn my volume up. I just realized. Sorry about distracting. that. Uh, per- pellets revolutionized um, the hop game because yes. you know cryo freezing and just having pellets. They're so much easier to ship, store. Uh, they have more shelf life. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not a brewer. That would make sense. But I believe that they're they're better for a longer amount of time. Yeah, you get a better hop presence. So. They're great. Uh, Lupulin pellets are just like, never heard of it. Super mm. stoked to be doing mm-hmm. a beer with Lupamax because this is brand new for us. This is like, Lupulin is just like the essence of what a hop is. Like, sure. I'm pretty sure, and I could just be a dumb guy doing bro science right now about beer, but that's what you're going for when you dry hop stuff. Like when you're adding a bag of hops, like a tea bag, and dry hopping or wet hopping, whatever. Um, hopping. You're, when you're hopping stuff. Hopping like, around. I think dry hopping because you want that lupulin because it gives you more more of the zhuzh. Sure. So I don't know, but that seems like the idea that they're going for. So to be able to kind of pelletize that and keep it consistent and have it be a measurable additive that you can control is intriguing as – uh, a consumer, mm-hmm. because that means people making these beers and these recipes have so much more control over their ingredients and are able to present a more defined version of their vision and an accurate version and an accurate, yeah. well defined, well measured, like controlled. Uh, I find that quite tint- titillating. Yeah, the the um, the way that uh, it's put in front of me here is is, is essentially lupulin. Which um, we've been saying wrong. Lupulin. I like lupulin. I do too. And we've been saying it for so long, but I knew that it was lupulin. But it just sounds weird now. But it, that is how it is pronounced. Just all right. So we all well, know. I'm not going to do that. Essentially, lupulin is the essence of hops, right? That's kind of what you're saying. And it makes for a seriously good beer. It means that brewers can essentially add heaps of hops because because what they what happens is like in the production of lupulin, you separate out kind of the, the alpha acids and all the oils and, and the hop essence. And you get rid of like the vegetative kind of... Uh, you know, inconsistencies and you're just able to use the purest form of the flavors of the hop that you want. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's a little bit more new school science involved than people making beer a hundred years ago, Mm -hmm. but it does in, I mean, I can't think of a way that it wouldn't make for a more consistent product. Yeah. So I think, I mean, yeah, forget how I'm feeling about it. It's a great way to make beer. I mean, yeah, you control the ingredients and the dosage. It's like putting anything inside your body. You want it as controlled and as measured as possible. We don't take dropperfuls of ibuprofen. We take milligram dosed tablets. Sure, you right. know, that's it's true for everything. You don't wanna it's like baking. You don't wanna just spitball. Don't eyeball that. No. Yeah, you need to measure. That's why I don't bake. You don't bake at all? I hate baking. It's too precise. It's math. I see. I don't like math. 
All right. I mean, I like math. I appreciate math. You're I, glad it exists in the world. A lot uh, of benefits. When it comes to, yeah, absolutely. But you're glad you don't have to practice well, it. Well, when it comes to cooking, I'm more of a, and I hate jazz, but I'm more of a jazz guy. You hate jazz? I'm not a big jazz fan. I like the classics. That's why you didn't like La La Land. I like Miles Davis, right? He's not one of the classics, but yeah. Really? No, he's not. He was a jazz icon. He was a jazz icon, but not in the classic era of jazz, like the, the uh, beginning of jazz. Not the beginning, but like he... Think how old he is. My, you could, he's a classic jazz artist. He's a classic name in jazz, but the jazz that he played almost broke the mold and like changed jazz. He's like not like he's he's like a avant garde sort of weird jazz. Yeah. So, you know, he's like modern, like like fusion weird jazz. Oh, you mean like the all the jazz before wasn't weird? It wasn't well like weird and free flow is the like the point. Yes. Miles Davis got extra weird in like the production and the weird stuff that he did and put to vinyl for sure. Uh, it's another conversation probably for another show, but, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> All that to say, I, I like to have a little bit more um, freedom and room for error and room for improvisation sure. when it comes to cooking and ingredients. Mm -hmm. I don't want my chefs, my bakers, my brewers doing too much jazz chefs. Yes. No. Bakers, no. 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 Brewers, maybe, depending on the type of thing. Yeah, and how much I trust them and how good they are. Yes. But also, you're, you're doing large... It's, that's a whole, Like you said, we're getting in the weeds here. Right. Lupamax. It's intriguing. Great. I'm interested in... <laughs> yeah, we got to reel this in. It's, uh, it's been a, a long month. show, yeah. It's yeah, been a got, month. Yeah, you're right. It's, we're having fun. I'm not sorry. Do you like Perfect Circle? And I'm tying that in, in a Perfect Circle, in a sense. Do you enjoy this beer? And I'll go first. I think a little bit. It's fine. It's good. I like it's it. It's not incredible. It doesn't, the beer itself doesn't justify the tangent we've just been on. I'll tell you that. We do, you and I, but this beer does not. It's right. a fine beer. Yeah. Right? What do you think? I think it's really pleasing. It is enjoyable in a big way. It's bright and hoppy. They make bright, light beers. They do that really well. Like they have got a lane and it is approachable, light drinking, yeah. light bodied. It's got double white lines on either side. Yeah. Don't cross. But like this is higher ABV than the first beer. Barely. That's, that's crazy. But it is. The first one, again, as a reminder, was 7%. This is 7.4. Where do you personally draw the line for when you can um, either taste the difference or feel the difference in beer? Because for me, 7 to 7.2, practically speaking, those are the same. Yeah. 7.4, maybe. Half a percent is getting there. Like 7.5, I'd say yes. I would say half a percent so to a full percent. percent. Oh, a full percent for sure. Yeah. So the line's in there somewhere. But the fact that this is higher at all, I would have guessed maybe it was lighter. See, there's more of the hop thing going on here. Which makes it f taste and feel boozier. It does. Yeah. And um, for that reason, I think that I liked the first one more just because it was a little more subtle and sneaky. Mm -hmm. And after our discussion of this movie, I feel like sneaky and subtle are kind of... Not I don't, I don't know. That's the mood I'm in. They're not pros. No. Uh, well, they are not that, not that discussion. The discussion about Barry Keoghan, but also that. Um, it's good though. It's it's, it's super tasty. Yeah. Um, but it's not blowing my mind. Same thing. It's like it's really solid. No, I I do dig the hot presence. I think I mean that's the point of this beer, and mm -hmm. I think it is the star, which I love. Like the hops are yeah. put. That's the difference between this beer and the first beer. The hops in this one are pushed right out front. This one's pulling no punches. It is what it says it is in that it is featuring hops, fancy hops, boom, mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. up front, center of the palate. It's the star. 
I love that. Yep. Um, definitely more of a traditional West Coast IPA vibe. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. I like it. I don't love it. I think I agree with you that I like the first one more. Okay. Great. Are you ready to rate it? Yeah. What you got? For perfect circle. This for real all day like a seven two. Yeah. This is top top tier like not life changing but way above average. Super good. Like super like, good. Like very good. Like if they get distro in this area, this beer's this brewery is going to be on my radar. Totally. Time. Yeah. So yeah. I would love to get. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Seven here. one all day. Seven two is what you said the first time. Sure. Do you want seven one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it sucks for them. Um, for me, my rating is going to be the same. Seven. Which is exactly how I felt about the first. Which still is a great rating. Great rating. Like, I, I like this, yeah, slightly less than the first, but it's still, it's a solid 7 out of 10 for me. It's it's a it's a good beer. I'd love to drink it again. Um, just confirming this one also doesn't have a canning date. Does it by chance? No. Okay. Uh, please, in the future, trademark, it'd be awesome to have those on the cans. Mm-hmm. Just so we can know up here in Northern California. I agree. But also, I would say I do not detect any uh, No, no, no. It's age. fine. It's fine. I definitely don't. I just want to know. Yeah. Obviously. Um, can design worth pointing out? Maybe. It's, it's great. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Well, then you'd take it, Mr. Fine. Well, sure. I mean, it's just, I like the first one more. I really like the first can design. But this is just says Perfect Circle um, with the logo of the brewery and West Coast IPA below that. And there's a there's a pattern of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight um, colored rings around it in a sort of ink blotty, you know, <laughs> spread of colors it's a rainbow it's a oh yeah it's a rainbow sorry yeah they're they're rainbow it's it's mm-hmm. red to sort of combined red and orange and then yellow and then green and then blue and then indigo and what i presume is violet after that because that is the way that that works i think it's pretty cool because it's like uh, a rainbow that was revealed in an aluminum can after like tearing it away it kind of has that like the colors oh, were underneath nice. yeah that's but good. it's just it's under there that's a nice touch you're right that is what it looks like it's like it, the can was the can art was revealed came out of the closet was revealed by a tigre just a tiger yeah, yeah. I, but a, you know a gay tiger right wow. to just kind of yeah and then its true colors showed I love it it's good a transition as any you want to go into hot and bothered <laughs> let's do it hot and welcome to hot and bothered this is the part of the show where we veer off course and maybe we talk about movies and beer maybe we don't. Let me start off by saying I was in Italy for a couple of weeks, and that's why we have been lapsing in our uh, episode releases. Although I'll, I'll even say we haven't been lapsing that much. We've been lapsing in our new episode releases. Hopefully, um, one or two of you got enjoyment out of our re-release of our 2020 Thanksgiving episode, which I thought was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened back through some of it before I put it out. Uh, and uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, what a classic. Such and a classic. it still holds up, and all of our thoughts, I think, are still relevant. So... Um, that is the last thing in your feed, probably. So if you haven't heard it, check it out. I mean, what a what a great movie. What a great time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, how was your Thanksgiving? It was tremendous. We had several Thanksgivings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a big family thing with my whole side of the family on Tuesday. Nice. Uh, because my dad was having cancer surgery on that Wednesday, so he was going to be out of commission for the actual holiday. Yeah. It was very important for the whole family to get together. My sister in Gridley hosted. My mm. folks came down. My sister from Sacramento came down. So it and my my niece from Texas who is pregnant. Wow! So it was really great to hug. Two her. for one on that. Yeah, it was awesome. Good man. Um, yeah, mine too. I was in Reno um, the the night before Thanksgiving and decided to drive back to Chico the morning of. But I had to run a a turkey trot, which is a five k, which is three point one miles. Uh, threw out my back doing that. Drove to Modesto, spent time with family. Um, and you go to the gym thing. all the time. 
Well, I hadn't because I was in Italy for two weeks. Just literally, I don't know if you know this about Italy. They don't really do breakfast the same way we do. They do espresso and pastries. And one cigarette, two cigarettes. Maybe go back not to work as, after not one as half prominent hour. as I thought. One half hour, two half hour. Yeah. Are you quoting something? I'm doing a meme. It's fine. Okay. You won't get it. Um, not as many cigarettes. Okay. But like pastries, sugar pastries, and coffee until about like noon. Mm-hmm. Then you start drinking beer, very light beer, mm-hmm. and eating pizzas. And then it's nighttime and you're drinking wine and pasta dishes. Mm-hmm. That's Italy every day for me for two weeks. Great. Saw a lot of great stuff. Uh, I had a birthday in a foreign country, yeah. which is the first time I've done that. Um, climbed 460 something stairs to the top of the cathedral in Florence, Italy on my birthday. Nice. It was incredible. A lot of memories. It was great. That's, That's the first fantastic. thing I have at Hot and Bothered. I love it. What you got? Uh, I didn't go anywhere. That's okay. I stayed at home. A lot in our time off, and uh, you love staying at home. It's one of my it's favorite. Like your things. favorite like, place to I be. I stayed at home. Yeah, I drank a bunch, played a metric fuck ton of Diablo Four. Nice. It was. Great. Are you over Baldur's Gate at this point? Ah, uh, yes. Okay, I've put all of two hours into it, and, and I absolutely hate it. Okay, it's not for me. Um, oh, no. And I don't know if you'll be surprised or not. I did not watch one movie um, in the whole time we were off. Not one. I'm a little, I mean, part of me is, part of me isn't. I get yeah. it. There was a lot of TV shows uh, that were getting backlogged. Mm-hmm. So I started working my way through those. Uh, the first I will throw out is Gen V, which is a bo- the boys spinoff. Oh. Amazon Prime. Weird. Because okay. Gen V was the name of the, like the stuff that they injected. It was Compound you've V. Wa- well, you've watched the, the boys. It was Compound V. You're right. Yeah. I've but Gen it. V is yeah. about, it was set in 2006. Which is pre- the boys. Okay. But Homelander's still around. So like the seven exist. Okay. It's the same universe. Homelander shows up in one of the episodes. Um it's all very much in the same universe. Yeah. The 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 whole point so this is all centered around a college where the first generation of kids that were injected with compound V are now college aged. Can I just say how much I love this? Because I didn't really watch anything in Italy, but one night I put on an episode of a TV show and it was the boys. Nice. <laughs> and I hadn't watched it in months and months, but nice. Uh, I like that you and I share a, a love of that show. Oh, it's so good. So keep going. Um, so it's about that first generation of kids that are now college age that were injected with compound V. And I don't know exactly in the lore how the superheroes before that like mass injection came to be because like Homelander is in this show and he's Homelander mm-hmm. and he's older. So like, wait, I'm sorry. He's older than he was in the boys. No, he's older than the people in the show. Like sure, they're college age. Yeah, right. He's right. Homelander. Before him was Soldier Boy, right? Yeah, I just think th- so. Like it's been around, and then like there was an era sometime in like the mid eighties, mm. like late nineties, where they just dosed it out to a bunch of people. Possibly, I it, think that I think that the story goes they were looking for volunteer parents, and they would mm. give you an amount of money to let your child be injected. So that's how Starlight came to be. That's okay. So that makes sense. But I think the generation before was like, like I think um, Soldier Boy like was an orphan maybe. Or a foster kid and was just sort of like swept up by the Vought super system. And got and, experimented. Totally. On. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know, but that's my theory. So this whole generation of college kids were given it by their parents. Yes. And it's a lot of dealing with the fallout of that. It's also um, very competition-based. All the soups at mm. this college are like the top 10 soups are ranked. Wait, 10 kids at the same college? The top 10 soups. It's all superhero college. So they're all soups. It's the Disney Channel original film, Sky High. Is yeah. What it is. But Did you ever see that? No. 
Oh, but I great. get the the premise. Kurt Russell's in it. I think there's so much more gratuitous nudity and violence in <laughs> sure. this. It's way better. Yeah. It is. It is a healthy dose dose yeah. of the boys. If okay. you're missing that, okay, it's the same vibe. It's the same writing. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. We ate it up and watched it all. Binge style. I say within three days, we finished it. You may or may not be surprised to know the gratuitousness of the boys is my least favorite part. Shocking. Right. I, I do think some of it was necessary, but some of it was getting back to our discussion of Saltburn, like gratuity for the sake of shock value. Mm-hmm. And, and it got worse as the show got yeah. on. Like, I think it, season three started with... Uh, Ooh, I think it was season three. There's the, a, in the penis. Yeah, yeah, there's this little tiny superhero that goes into like to sort of tickle with his hands the inside of his lover's genitals and then sneezes and explodes that man from the inside. Yeah. That and was like, awesome. See, it's it's funny and like it's like, whoa, that's crazy. But it's just so absurd and over the top that I think it undercuts the more pressing ideas of that show, which is like the whole concept is like, what would the world be like if we actually had superheroes? Yeah. Which is such an awesome talking point. Well, if the world was like that, shit like that would happen. Right. You're right. And that's like, I love the show. Like, it's 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 correct. Yeah. And like, it just sometimes it does yeah. feel like, like when it, on the whale and like he eats the octopus in another scene, like it really mm-hmm. bothers. Maybe that's the point. It bothers me. Yeah. So it's working, I guess. It's, but Well, you know, the, the, the bounds of human perversity are only amplified when you have superhumans. You're gonna have yeah, superhuman sure. perversity. Yeah. Uh, right. But also, it's it's so worth the watch if you like the boys at all. Okay, like it's it holds up. It right. holds up to the boys. And I immediately was like, well, I need another season immediately. So, so. one one season's completely out. Yep, it's all on Amazon Sweet. Prime. Okay, watch it immediately. It was fantastic. All right. Um, about a week after I got back from Italy. I had the privilege of performing music at one of our um, longtime fans, patrons, friend, um, Susan Belsky's birthday party. Shout out, Belsky. Shout out, Belsky. It's her 60th at Secret Trail. And Rob, um, our podcast intern and longtime friend and drummer, and I played that show. And we played only music from the 60s and 70s. And it was great. Like, um, we tried to dress the part, kind of. I stole somebody's glasses. They're, they were heart-shaped glasses. You they bought were some chucks? Roasted. I own some chucks. Come on, man. Those look brand new. Um, no, they didn't. You've never. Where have you seen me? And you saw photos? Yeah. No, they're not. I've worn them. I've had those Converse All Stars for four years. You've four worn five? them less than ten times. No, I've worn them more than ten times. That's crazy. But they've got that white rubber toe that is easy to clean. Yeah. So I keep my shoes clean. Oh, and my nose. Well, that explains it. Um, but it was great. Uh, played for a couple hours, had some beers with some great people, a lot of familiar faces. Um, and it was a blast. It was, it was, uh, a nice sort of, you know, I played one show when I immediately got back, but I was so jet lagged. I don't really remember. And then went out of town. So it was kind of my first show back in Chico after Italy. So it was wonderful. Nice. Was great. So happy birthday, Belsky. That's awesome. What else you got? I love it. Uh, so another show that I'd had on my docket that we had time for in mm-hmm. our time off mm-hmm. was um our flag means death season t- season two two taika waititi yeah uh written i think yeah yeah executive, and also executive starring producer, kind of starring yeah yeah are you familiar if you watch season one yeah okay you watch season one what are your thoughts i think it's great i think it's it's um and for those that don't know the show it's um it it's cir- it centers at least this first season did around a uh an englishman named steed who decides his life is too droll and boring, decides he wants to become a pirate. Actually, 
almost accidentally gets thrown into the world of piracy uh, under the uh, friendship and and tutelage and also um, sort of uh, at first like adversarial relationship with Blackbeard the pirate played by Taika Waititi. And there's a whole uh, crew of sort of misfits that goes along with it. It's a, it's a very Taika Waititi sort of New Zealand comedic bent similar to uh, what we do in the shadows kind of mm-hmm. humor yeah. that is not for everybody. No, but, but if it's you like very it, very wholesome. If you like lovely. it, you like totally. it. Totally. And so I think it's great, but I've, I have not uh, dived into season two. You must, you simply sure. must. Sure. It is in a lot of ways better than season one, which okay. is shocking. Give me one of the ways. And rare. It dives so much deeper into the mental health issues of Mm. the people Mm -hmm. on the ship. Mm -hmm. It becomes so much more personal. The character development of tertiary characters, Mm -hmm. or so you thought, uh, was fantastic. It becomes more, just more personal Mm -hmm. and more empathy inducing. And just like, I cried probably four times, five times watching this show. Yeah. Uh, it was absolutely tremendous, and I loved every single episode. And I'm probably going to watch – I don't watch series over often. Oh. Like this is a series I would put on again. Nice. Like, it's it's so good. It's so pure, and it's all about just like finding the best version of yourself and love in whatever form it comes in. And there's Hodor in full drag oh, at a yeah. party. Right. He's I mean – it was just amazing. It 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 really built on the foundation of an already excellent uh, show. You know, it's got great bones. It's got a great premise. It's so subversive. Mm. Like, because I've recommended it, and people are like, that's a pirate show, right? Like, you're like, kinda. like, like Black Flags, or like, mm, you're like, no, Black no. Sails was the like Showtime yeah. show, right? And um, it was basically Game of Thrones on the ocean, right? right. And you're like, there's way too much love and way too many gay people. And yeah, way too many, I'm like, like no, nah. it's not. Take a pirate show and what you think it should be, and make it about the exact opposite, right? It's that. And it was, and and it was just dealing with like heavy issues and like in a way that was so comedic, but also tender. Like this show has more love and compassion and just good vibes than most things you'll see on television. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. if you want to feel good and be moved and just feel joy, Mm -hmm. watch Our Flag Means Death because it brings me so much joy. Where did you come down on Ted Lasso by the end? I really like you finish it. Oh yeah, you did. Oh yeah, I did not. Really? Yeah, I didn't finish season three. I don't think I started season three. Uh, But you feel as though because 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 Ted Lasso shares some of the same through lines emotionally of like Mm -hmm. you know like a belief in a higher sense of like purity and goodness and kindness Mm -hmm. that I think is echoed in in our flag means absolutely in a lot of ways. Though I think in in my experience with seasons one and two of Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso did it near perfectly uh i didn't feel quite the same way about our flag but you know yeah and also season two of ted lasso fell off a bit for me Mm -hmm. um i feel that season three really brought it back cool it was very fulfilling there were no episodes that i was like that's filler or Mm -hmm. that's no Mm -hmm. everything was done with intention and i think season three was fantastic i admired them because season three is the end yeah, they're, I just admired that because like so many shows, Game of Thrones being a good example, like 
you know, or lost is another great example. Like the showrunners do it for so long and they get offers for other stuff and then they lose interest and they just like tie up loose ends in the most convenient ways. And it's yeah. really dissatisfying to a fairly loyal fan base most yeah. of the time. And Ted Lasso, they were like, season three, end. I love that. Good. I can't wait yeah. to catch up with it. No, I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Season three was better than season two. Mm -hmm. it, it really felt like a return to its roots. Yeah. And like what made that show great in season one. Yep. So continue on with that. Like yeah, you've got you've got three seasons of television that I think yeah. should be at the tippy tip tip top of your radar. All right. Last October, uh, October 2022, I took a flight from Sacramento Airport after playing a show in Placerville and I flew to Atlanta to spend some time with my aunt. And it was uh, for her birthday, which was a couple months earlier, I bought us tickets to Mike Birbiglia, um, a show called The Old Man in the Pool, which is in the canon of Mike Birbiglia's um, performances. And if you don't know him, he's he's sort of a a long-form comedian who, who tells stories that have tangents and, and usually end up tying a bow on a larger comedic story. Johnny, I will direct you over your right shoulder to that poster, which says Birbiglia, Mike Birbiglia Live, and it's signed by Mike Birbiglia. I got that at this show. Love it. It was an incredible show. Um, and inevitably you're there and you're like, when's this going to come to streaming? And that show finally came to streaming on Netflix. Again, it's called the old man in the pool. And it came out, um, I would say like five days ago, maybe yeah. six. It's very new. I ate it up like candy. And son. it's so good. And, and, and I know you've seen it, so we're going to talk about it here, but it, it's, it's a show about him sort of coming to terms with getting older. And, and he's got a daughter now who is. Uh, Una. Una, who is, is I think, at the time of the release of the show, maybe five or six or seven. Um, and he's always had a penchant for dealing with his own mortality in a comedic way. Like he's, you know, he had bladder cancer and gotten a potentially life-threatening car accident and, and has always found a way to kind of tie it together in a joking way, but it's always been about him. And this is the first show that he's done, really, that considers sort of his legacy as a father. And it's fantastic. And I don't know if... People listening have ever been to the YMCA. Have you been to the YMCA? No. You've never been to YMCA? Because there's never been one around here, right? No. Okay, well, I had one growing up. And maybe the smell of the pool transcends the brand of <laughs> YMCA. And maybe it's a public pool smell. He paints a vivid picture. But though. it is a very specific scent. And he, and he kind of ties it all up under this, uh, you know, you know, the setting of the YMCA. But it, it ends up being a metaphor for a larger kind of idea of maintaining one's health and 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 what you're bothering to live for it's a really really good show it's about i think it's like 75 minutes or something like that and it's great what did you think of this i'm so curious so i have to preface this with we were kind of buzzed on a friday night mm -hmm. you're you're making some sounds today i don't think i don't think the noise gate <laughs> cut that i think that came through the mic that was aggressive that was good my throat is involved sure um so we were a little buzzed on a Friday night, feeling a little giggly, like don't really want to watch another like serious show, like a drama or like we're kind of just in a nebulous point in the night where it's like, yeah, I want to giggle. Sure. And I love giggling. I love laughing. I love stand-up comedy. So it's it's time to like see what Netflix has to offer. Yeah. So we popped on Netflix and the first thing I saw was a special from um, – I think I'm going to call him TikTok comedian. Why would you call him that? Matt Reif. Oh, yeah. He's a TikTok comedian for sure. Exactly. Did you start it? No, I watched the whole thing. Oh, what'd you think? Um, I think Matt Reif has some growing up to do. Yeah. I think he's still very young and yeah. green. Yeah. As hey, a comic. What up, dude? <laughs> that was for you. I like that. Um, 
I thought it was entertaining. I think his crowd work is better than his material, but Agreed. he's got a good sensibility as a joke writer. I think he's catching yeah. some flack for like his opening joke because it was kind of offensive. What was it? Uh, it was a domestic violence joke about um, uh, a, a hostess at uh, um, a restaurant that had a black eye. And he's kind of in the spotlight right now for oh, just like getting some shit for that. Okay. And I'm like, it's a joke. It's not for everyone. The fun thing about comedy yeah. is that the comedians are just pretending. Like they're just saying. Yeah. It's, you know it's what I mean? It's a performance. It's an act. Yeah. And comedy is so subjective. I saw uh, this is a side. Are you the? Were we talking about Shane Gillis? I love that special because that's like the epitome of like sort of character work and like yeah. Uh, but whatever. What He's say? so subversive that sure. like it's deceptive and but he's like, the annoying kind of subversive where like people think people that aren't in on the joke are like yeah like america's the best and yeah. he's kind of saying like america's kind of the worst yes uh, and, but and that's why i like yeah. him because he's fucking with the people that are the most annoying right now and that's sure. what makes me appreciate him yeah um side note i sure. watched a, a really great interview with vince vaughn mm -hmm. and he was talking about comedy and how um the subjectivity of it as a, a consumer mm -hmm. that like, there's no right or wrong way. It's just like, there's things that work for you. And there's so many mm -hmm. different kinds. Like you can have like the, I slipped on a banana comedy and yeah. then the long format story. And mm -hmm. then the knock, knock joke, like there's, it's a spectrum. And like, just because something doesn't work for you doesn't mean that it's inherently wrong. Right. 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 Like you should be able to joke about anything. It's comedy. That's the point. Yes. Um, and yeah, people get offended at comedy, mm -hmm. but they're just jokes and people are pretending. So I'm not down on Matt Rife for his domestic violence joke. I'm not either. I, I just it, think his special's not very good. No, objectively speaking, it was yeah. not. And yeah. we watched the whole thing and we there there were moments where we laughed, but also like a lot of his jokes are cheap and just immature. Yeah. They're low and hanging think, fruit. They're yeah. they're a young and, comedians' jokes. And I like you know me, I like some low hanging fruit. I like a dick joke. But More than most of my friends, you do. Yes, yeah. the most. Uh, you're up there. Yeah. No, I'm number one. All right, come sure, on. Sure, sure. Am I not? On a scale of one to ten, you're. But am one, I not? Baby. Like I have. Oh, I'm not trying to name drop people right now, but no, you're not number one. Really? There's gotta, friends. There's friends that I have that I. There's friends that I put up with that have worse senses of humor than you. You've got a dumber. That makes me happy. Yeah, I'm not your dumbest friend. You're not. You're not even close to my dumbest, and that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about Fuck dumb. Yeah. We're not talking about intellect. We're talking about humor instinct mm -hmm. uh and i'm not sure what the opposite of a dick joke is um a mike probably joke? a mike probably joke yeah and 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 you are not either end of that spectrum necessarily yeah i think i, I fit somewhere like somewhere lee somewhere in the middle you're closer to the one than the 10 but yeah well i mean i don't know i have such a deep appreciation for work like probably and that does. does set you apart and some people are like i don't get it and like to this day, Three Mics by um, Neil Brennan. Neil Brennan yeah. is one of my favorite stand-up specials of all time. It's very good. The sheer vulnerability mm -hmm. displayed in that mm -hmm. special was astounding. Yes. So, um, but I, I like all that to say. I like the low-hanging fruit sometimes. Yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of a dirty joke, dude. I am too when it's well done. Yeah, but I'm not a fan of the easy stuff. Exactly. Like and I don't think you are either. No, I want like. And there's people in my life that are. That's my point. Uh, that's fair. I appreciate that. When I watch the Matt Rife special, I'm yeah. like, okay, yeah. that, it's uh, that. I it got a little chuckle, but I'm like, yes. also Matt, do better. 
I could have written that joke. And like you, people say that about comedy all the time. Like, well, it's so easy. Why don't you go up and do it? Right, like, right. But I was like, some of the shit he did. I was like, that I, was- I could, that's what I thought of first. Yeah. Like I guessed the punchline yeah. and it kept yeah. happening. But there were moments of enjoyability. So I would give that on the fly like a 5.8 okay. out of 10. Sure. Uh, but we finished. We, we finished. Yeah, it wasn't the worst special I've ever seen. Yeah. I didn't turn it off. Yep, I did. That's the difference. There's some that I have. Yeah. Um, but we finished that, and I was like, I mean, that was fine. That was good. It wasn't great. And I'm like, but I you still haven't giggled enough. Yeah. You were starting this to giggle. Damn it. Yeah. And you exactly. did exactly. So and what came up next? Mike Burbiglia. Of course he did. Old man in the pool. And Very good. It was late. Right, we started at like eleven p.m. And you're not sober at this point. No, you're not like you're not like daytime energy. No, but I'm not. I'm not drunk, drunk. But I'm like I'm good and buzzed. Like I'm, I'm trying a- to spend seventy five minutes doing something. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's feeling or thinking sure. or laughing or yeah. ideally the combination of all three, mm. boom, mm. young Mikey sure. enters the room <laughs> with his little sure. pudgy swagger. Yeah, I love his shit, dude. It's great. Um, he brings a level of introspection. And his comedy specials, I love that you call them performances because they are. Oh, sure, yeah. It's it's thought-provoking. It's humorous. It's emotional. Mm -hmm. He writes with such feeling. He brings such a maturity as a comedian Mm -hmm. that someone like Matt Reif is just – It's they're not on the same playing field. No. Um, But – it's it's apples and oranges. It's hard to compare the two. I mean, mm-hmm. they're in the same field, but it's not fair because well, it's like saying it's like trying to compare Jack Johnson to Megadeth. Like, well, they're all musicians. It's like, well, yeah, but they're different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know. He being Mike Birbiglia just scratched me right where I was itching, mm-hmm. and that special was so good. And like me and Shalane are sitting on the on the couch just laughing and then crying. Mm-hmm. And then laughing and then crying. Yeah. And it was, I love that emotional journey because comedy, life, everything, it's sad, it's funny, it's happy, it's depressing, yes. it's uplifting, it's it's everything. And he brings to the table that kind of writing that is just, it's kind of transcendent. Like, then that's why I love to call it a performance and yeah. not just a special because it was somewhere between a TED Talk, a stand-up special, and... Yeah, let's just go with those two. No, those are great. Yeah. There's there's a couple moments, and th- and this kind of speaks to what I was saying about his previous stuff mostly being about him. There's a moment in the show where, because he talks a lot about writing in his journal at night, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's a moment where he says, you, you know, like, m- my grandfather died of cancer. Um, you know, my dad had a heart attack when he was, and he's all 59. And at the age of 59. They both had heart attacks at 56. I'm going to clean that up for you. I think it's 59. It was 56. Are you sure? Put $100 on it. Then I believe you. When I'm 56, Una will be 19. And he throws it up on the back, the the screen, the projector. Mm -hmm. um, And he lets us marinate in it. And it's like the first time it's really been about something kind of larger than him. And and Mm -hmm. I think later in the show or possibly before, he says, same sort of situation. He throws it on the projector. He's like, I think I may die soon. And he lets us sit with it for a long time. His use of negative emotional and physical space is open space. It's so good. And it's, I mean, it's Matt. He, he co-wrote or, or rather, um, I think had a special produced by or edited by Ira glass of this American life. 
And that was my girlfriend's boyfriend, which is, I think probably still to this day, his most cohesive, um, you know, like fully fleshed out Mike Birbiglia style special. Um, though this one's really close. <laughs> so is the new one. Um, sorry, that's the name of a show. It's called the new one, quote unquote. Uh, like there's, there's just a sense of like it being its own thing and a full understanding of the audience's reaction to every single conjection and, and, and comedic moment. And it, it's just really, really well done. And I, you know, I'm not like an expert on comedy, but like I've seen quite a few and there's nobody that really comes close. So I was stoked. I'm glad you saw the special. It was very good. It was great. I showed Serena, showed Rob. Actually, Rob watched it on his own, our podcast nice. intern, and he watched it with his lady. Um, I wrote Mike Birbiglia when I was in Reno. He sent out an email. I'm on the email list. And he was basically like, hey, the special's out on Netflix. Please show it to your friends. And I said, I will. I will I will uh, watch this when I get home. By the way, I'm the person who was in your hotel room in Walla Walla, Washington <laughs> back in January on Instagram. Which he shared. Which he did share. That's true. Uh, it was not nothing. No. And I was like, I'm just, you know, I've seen the show once live. Stoked to watch it on Netflix. And it was exactly as good as I remembered. It was very good. Did he reply? <clears throat> For the sake of the story, I will say yes. For the sake of reality, I will say no. Because okay. I was on a fucking blast email chain with... Whoever else is yeah. on his thing, but yeah. The email probably said, do not reply to this Yeah, email. for sure. But it's no, fine. I actually checked for that. It did not. But my <laughs> email probably said, don't waste your time replying to this guy in a hot tub in Reno. Yeah. Which I respect. That's fair. Uh, uh, shout out to you. I actually had to pause the to comedy who? special. You, to young me? Maxwell. Oh, good. Because I had to pause the comedy special, yeah, yeah. pull up your Instagram, mm -hmm. and be like, Shalina. Max has been to the, this uh, the, is the hotel guy. room. It's the like, guy. This is the guy. Yeah, She's yeah. like, this is the guy? It's him. It's him. Yeah. Like, Max has been there to this La Quinta? La Quinta. Well, it, well yeah, it yeah. is the short answer, but no, it got yeah. bought out by another That's hotel. Fine. But yes, La Quinta Inn. That's in so Walla, Walla, Yeah, it was great. So I loved it, and yeah. you loved it. It was fantastic. So good. Yeah. Um, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. You got anything else? I have too much bothered to actually write about, so I didn't write any of it down. But you persisted. I did you, persist. Is that the word you wrote? I persevered. Persevered. Yeah. That's right. No, we've gotten through it. It's been a shitty couple months. If you know me personally, you know why. I don't want to get into it here, but uh, things are looking up. I mean, you brought it up. <laughs> no, it's fine. No. Okay. We're not doing that. You got anything else then? Uh, I did have a book recommendation. Oh, yeah. But are me. we running way too long? Is this just for us at this point? Well, I was going to say at this point, I might even like... No, fuck it. People like us. Just let it ride. I mean, it could almost be its own episode, Hot and Bothered, at this point. <laughs> it like could. It's, we're, at, we're at about an hour 45. Fuck it. No. So, sure. So, no. No, I mean, we're, we're not we're not, we're not not running out of fucking tape, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, okay. We're fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, I know we've been enjoying sharing book recommendations yeah, back yeah. and forth. Yeah. I have one. Okay. It's a book called Gideon the Ninth. Okay. Uh, it's a novel by uh, a woman named Tamsin Muir. Good name. Yeah. M-U-I-R. M-U-I-R. Yeah. Yes. And I will read you the... Um, eh, nah, I won't. Uh, it's... Uh, no, it, read it. No, it's just... It doesn't... What? It doesn't really... It's not a synopsis as much as... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, 
it's a science fantasy novel. That is the the technical term. Science fantasy. Yeah. Sci-fi. Sci-fi. Sure. You know. Classic. Um, but it's fantastic. It is uh, – it's kind of – it rewrites the rules of a lot of fantasy. Okay. And it's in this nebulous world of like – it's post-apocalyptic, but it's not necessarily uh, narrated or written in a way that – it lets you come to that conclusion yourself. All right. So something has happened that they allude to that ended the world or the world as we know it. And we're living in a world where uh, necromancy is the uh, flavor of magic that exists in this universe. What are these dead reincarnated bodies being used for? Um, so basically we have a situation where there's nine houses. Are we talking like um, single family homes? They all, are we talking like- No, like they all- Basically, these nine houses run planets, and like, yeah, this feels Dunish. A little Dunish. Okay, it's like Dunish mixed with like Harry Potter, mixed with a bunch of different things. Okay, it, it has influence, and it's there, but it doesn't follow the formulas of any of them to a T. I love okay. that, like, the author really takes these ideas and makes them her own. Okay, so every house has a necromancer, and every necromancer has a cavalier. So it's basically a magician. A cavalier? Cavalier being a knight. They're the heavy. They're oh, okay. the, the warrior. Are you, this is audiobook for you? Yes. All right. What? It's just that in French, chevalier means knight. Yeah. And I could see on paper chevalier that being read as cavalier. No. But I know they come from the same. They're also different place. words. No, I know, but I thought maybe you had mistaken it by reading it on paper and you said cavalier and it was actually chevalier. No, I know the difference between C-A and C-H-A. Fair enough. So it's fine. Um <laughs> I was mostly trying to show off my French. Yes. Okay. Uh, you got it. Come on. Because I don't know. Okay. Have it. So they both have uh, every house has necromancer. a necromancer, and every necromancer has a cavalier. cavalier. Right. They're knight. And it's kind of set up kind of Game of Thrones y, where all the houses are powerful. It's great because all of the necromancers have a different form of necromancy. Cool. So they do different stuff. Give me two. Uh, bone magic. The, bone magic? The ninth house, which Gideon is the cavalier of the ninth house. Okay. Ninth house. Um, Harrowhark, the the necromancer of the ninth, is um, a bone necromancer. So she can control- it's kinky. <laughs> yeah. She can control bones, bud. Let me yeah, tell you. Yeah, I hear you. She carries around like a bag full of like knuckle bones and like bone dust and Ugh. can throw out like bone powder- and raise an army of skeletons. Well, it's pretty cool. Pretty gangster. It seems like the highest level of that. It seems like the most inti- intimidating. There's probably. there's a lot of them, and like another one is right. like um, channeling necromancer. They can uh, absorb the uh, thanergy or like the what? It's a whole. Did thing. you say thanergy? Thanergy. Right. It's it's part of their universe. It's like the um, necromantic energy. Okay. That they use to feed off of. Because like necromancers can also feed off death. Of course. Gives them power. It's great. Of course, yeah. Uh, So they can absorb and like channel the thanergy of their cavaliers. Okay. And like do crazy shit. And That's amazing. Yeah. It's it's How long is this audiobook? Uh, It's pretty long. I want to say it was like 16 hours or so. That's, yeah, it's good. And I'm on the second book and it's 19 hours. It's longer. Yeah. Uh, It was fantastic though. It was... um, very original and well read. 
Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of a good narrator for an audiobook mm-hmm. because a bad narrator yep. will ruin an audiobook. Oh, of course. Although you've come around, Nevernight. You did not like him, and then you did. I did. Yeah. Yep. So Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Yep. Big fan. If you're looking for an audiobook and you're a big fantasy guy like I am, yeah. it's a fresh take. Sweet. If you liked Empire of the Vampire, mm-hmm. I think you'll like the writing style. All right. So great. It's worth a worth a check out. Well, I, w- I will check it out. All right. I've got Good. a few credits I gotta use. Good. Check it out. We have oh, did you read the Monka Mocha? No, I forgot about that. Oh, it's so that good. would have been a great airplane read. That's fine. Um, instead, I read uh, The Fall of the House of Usher. Oh. And by read, I mean listened to by Edgar Allan Poe, which was turned into a, a show. Recently on Netflix. Yeah, which is why I listened to it. Um, but I listened to it while driving, which is a mistake because it's Edgar Allan Poe. And it's very dense literature um, to the point. It's only like a 56-minute listen. So it's a very short book. But very descriptive in, mm. in sort of the the Poish kind of very, very done up and dressed up language. So I had to listen to a synopsis of it afterwards. But the show's been getting a lot of attention. I've heard good things. So I was like, I'm gonna listen to the book, but read it if you can, or at least sit in a quiet room and because I had to pause like every couple minutes and like, what does this word mean? Because mm. it's just not yeah. in my lexicon, but that's probably gonna be the next show I watch. Alongside Gen V. You got a full... I do. A full Q. Yeah. Aside from that and Napoleon and the bike riders and the killer. All this stuff we got to catch up on. We have to quit our job so we can watch movies. Yeah, we'll make it happen. So on that note, join Patreon, please. Word. It helps us keep the show going. Yeah, we've talked enough. Let's get it. We have. Uh, The show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi. Thanks to everybody that is already on Patreon. But if you want your name included in that sort of group wide cast net, please join us on Patreon.com slash Fresh Hop Cinema. Uh, the handlebar here in Chico has a great happy hour, as you know, if you listen to the top of the episode. And my name is Max Minardi. My name's Johnny Summers. Thanks for joining us. It's been a month since we've recorded. If uh, you've stuck is that with- right? Yeah. Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The uh, the Five Nights at Freddy episode dropped on Halloween. God damn it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're back to it. So if you've stuck with us for this long, I appreciate it. It's been a long episode, but uh, we had some catching up to do. So. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you. Please drink beers that make you happy. Yeah. Watch some shows that make you think about Watch things. some movies, dude. And movies. That's the prerogative. Sure. Watch guess, some movies. I guess that's like the, in the name and, and shit. It's the whole thing. I don't know. I like shows more than movies, but watch watch whatever you want. Just be happy. Yeah, guys. watch some stuff. The point is, do something this week that lets you love people better. We'll see you next week. This is Fresh Hot Cinema.